Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I am back. We were um, taking a bit of a hiatus last week. I was kind of under the weather, but I am back, and we are diving back into our study in the book of Romans. And we are going to do all of chapter 14 today. Um, It's a lot of verses, but there's, there's a really big idea in Romans 14 that I want to... Um, dive a little deep into and kind of walk through the the practicality of that and it made more sense to do that is as a big chunk and so we will be working section by section through Romans 14 today it'll be a bit longer than some of our previous installments but I think it's still going to be good and profitable for our walk with Christ and so let us begin with the beginning and so Paul is providing correction and guidance. This is what he's been doing systematically through much of the book of Romans. Romans 13 was kind of a sporadic um, series of elements concerning submission and things of that nature. But Romans 14 is, he's correcting and he's guiding on an area of contention, specifically areas of contention. And so he does this by demonstrating two points. And you can ultimately divide this passage into two sections. All will give an account to God as an individual, and we ought not to be a stumbling block to others over non-salvific issues. And as you can figure, those are kind of the same, those are kind of similar, which is why we will be doing them together. Because in order to grasp each concept, I think we have to take them together. So starting with verses 1 through 6. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems a day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. 
So in Romans 13, we mentioned evaluating grounds of submission as an individual. And Paul makes the case again for that practice in a different realm. So as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not quarrel over opinions. One thing that's clear from the, from the writings of Paul is that he is yearning for a unified church. This was a very deep burden for Paul, was a church that was united. And it seems, however, that the church often is divided. And part of what we're seeing in Romans 14 is, and other portions of his writings, is there is a good division and there's a division we should abhor. And so we have to differentiate the two, especially when we come to navigating differences in the church. Consider the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so Christ himself said, I came to bring a sword. I came to bring division. Not in the sense that Christ was a revolutionary or that he was trying to start a civil war. But Christ was demonstrating that what he came to do to br bring the way of salvation before our eyes. That to atone for sin and to point us to salvation through himself. Sometimes that does divide. Sometimes that does separate. And this is often this is what we read from Paul. Paul does argue for schisms under certain circumstances. The, the book of Galatians was rooted in controversy, a very heated controversy over the nature of circumcision in the Christian life. And Paul is very heated. He is very direct when he addresses that in the book of Galatians. And he opens almost verse 8 of chapter 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed or an outsider. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So what Paul's describing in Romans 14 and Galatians 1 are entirely different circumstances. That there are areas where the gospel divides, where a right understanding of who God, who God is does separate us from those who teach a false gospel. There are certain entities that we cannot partner with because they, they perpetuate lies about who God is and what he has and has not done. For example, we cannot have fellowship amongst the body with the Mormon church. 
the Mormon Church has an entirely different understanding of who God is, of how God has revealed himself to us, and of, of course of who Christ is. There are certain churches out there that deny Christ is God. And these are areas where within this Pauline understanding of division where we cannot be united because we have to be united in truth. However, there are other areas where when we disagree on things that are not a salvation issue, that really are minors, they are, to use old Latin, peccadillos, they are minor infractions that are really not worth a big long theological debacle over. And th this is what Paul is describing. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. He uses the example of dietary restrictions. Paul uses the example of dietary restrictions in the Jewish calendar. We do not risk apostasy as the Galatians were when one brother honors the Jewish holidays or eats kosher. While the issues today may be different, the substance is the same. How do we navigate disagreements on those peccadillos? In many churches, you find disagreements over smoking, alcohol, head coverings, the mode of baptism, and countless other things. We could go on listing all of these, these minor things that tend to divide. And I believe that at the root of this navigation, we have to ask the question, am I seeking God's glory? As Paul lays out, the one who observes the day, honors it, observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. It says in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There is a fixation on God's glory that has to be present to navigate this. And this idea of being fixed on glorifying God is reinforced by the Westminster documents. The Shorter Catechism addresses this specifically in the first three questions. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What rule has God given us to direct us and how we may glorify and enjoy Him? The Word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. And what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Charles Spurgeon was once asked by a young man in his church what he ought to do with a box of cigars he had been given. And Spurgeon quipped, Give them to me, and I will smoke them to the glory of God. Which is a, a funny little little tidbit, but the reality is that is our outlook. 
how are we to glorify God? And some that, that may look different as we wrestle with this idea, as we wrestle with these minor things and these obscure passages in Scripture. Romans 14 is a difficult passage, not because of content, but because of the practice of it. That these are things we have to live out. These are things that are relevant. How do we approach things like smoking in the church? I've been at churches where smoking was considered sinful, and I've seen the <clears throat> complete other end of that spectrum where sin where smoking is not even in the Bible, so why are we even talking about it? And we can go all day on that. But the reality is we have to approach this from a place of unity. That we're united in truth. We're united like family. And so how we navigate these minor things is from a place of family. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, that none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Simply put, God will hold each of us accountable for that pursuit of what is honoring to him. And our individual wrestling with this will be weighed before him. This pursuit is individualistic. Ecclesiastes 12 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Philippians chapter 2 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always believed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So all things will be brought into the light to be judged by God, the good judge. Therefore, let us all work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let us wrestle with how should we live. Because we all live coram Deo, before the face of God. Therefore, our main pursuits ought to be directed to God. We as believers ought to be continually looking for ways to further submit to what God desires. And seek to glorify Him more with our lives. Whether that takes... Where that takes us is for us to work out as an individual who lives before the face of God. Our conscience, which has the, is under the influence of the Holy Ghost, will guide that. But we, have, we each have to work out what that looks like 
between ourselves and God. Therefore, verse 13, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So we're accountable to God as individuals, but we're also not to pass judgment on our brothers because God is the judge, but also not to be a hindrance to our brother in Christ. To walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, as Paul has said more than once. There is an element, not that we are our brother's keeper. And if, ultimately, if my brother in the church feels that eating kosher is a manner to where to not do so would be sin, and I am hindering him from eating kosher, by definition, I am enabling him to sin. That I am making it easier for him to fall into sin and disobedience. So for my brother, it would be sinful to not eat kosher as consecrated to the Lord. And this is the other side of this matter of conduct, that we're not passing judgment on our brother, but we're also not making it easier for them to fall into sin if they believe this is sin. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul continues this discourse in Ephesians with a call for unity. Galatians 6, we talked about a little bit ago about um, let him be accursed, but he closes that letter in this way. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in the flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor circumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The need for unity supersedes us all being in agreement on every little thing. And Paul is illustrating that there are things we ought not divide over. 
the church is centered around us being rooted in Christ. And therefore, we ought to be encouraging each other to grow, to be further rooted in the same Christ. Colossians 2, Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So back to Romans 14 now. And he writes, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. If our conduct causes another to sin, we have not loved our brothers and sisters. We carry each other's burdens and we lift each other up. We ought to be seeking to help each other grow and pursue God in our individual convictions. Galatians 6, 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man, <clears throat> but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. If our theology does not draw us together, we are doing it wrong. To study God and be isolated or puffed up in pride is misguided and inaccurate. If the study of Christ makes us proud, we have not studied Christ but ourselves. Abraham Kuyper explains the church in this way in a book entitled Rooted and Grounded, The Church as Organism and Institution. And he writes... The church is an organism because she bears the unique life within herself and self-consciously upholds the independence of that life over against the old life. The church is an organism because she lives according to her own rule and must follow her own vital law. The church is an organism, finally, because what will later unfold from her buds is fully supplied already within her seed. As our fathers so correctly put it, the church is rooted in eternal election, or as the apostle expresses it, she is rooted in love. She is rooted in another soil. Therefore, then what the field of this world offers, if selfishness dominates there, then love is the indestructible material with which the eternal is dispersed. And precisely in that eternal held field, the organism of the church sends forth its roots. From that eternal, it draws its life juices. Under the rays of that eternal, it flourishes. Simply put, the soil of the church is not the soil of the world. The church is to be different 
because it is different. And so when the church is more divided than the world, we are doing something wrong. When there is a sense of lawlessness in the church that is not necessarily reflected by the world or something that is abhorred by the world, that is abhorred by scripture, but is rampant in the church, we have to take inventory. So let us continue to sink our roots down into Christ and let Christ flow out of us to each other, as it should be. Romans 14, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meal or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so we have very real things to consider in the ways that we walk in this passage. And ultimately what, I'm, what I hope you get from this is things to ponder, things to chew on, things to think about in the way you interact with other believers. Because this is important. Um, we should strive for a united church, both united in truth and united in differences. Because there is nothing quite like the church. The church is a very unique institution of God. There is nothing like this in nature. There is nothing like this in the carnal world. Outside of the people of God, there is nothing that compares to the church. Another quote from Abraham Kuyper, A church cannot be manufactured. A polity, no matter how tidy, and a confession, no matter how spotless, are powerless to form a church if the living organism is absent. Let those who intentionally deny that unique life of the church just try to imitate the church of Christ in their own locale. And people will see once again what has been so seen so often already. With the erosion of the soil, their building collapses. And so let us keep the main thing the main thing. Let us strive to build each other in that church that cannot be manufactured and guide each other in the pursuit of God as individuals who have not arrived and are growing in Christ for the glory of Christ, a work that will be completed by Christ upon our entrance into his kingdom. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. 
and there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That's something that I've written, that's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.